there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. Welcome back, Ghoul Gang, to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft Correspondence. That's right, you guys are the Ghoul Gang. Hannah can suck it! I don't know. She's she's warming up to it, I think. Anyway, this is Correspondence, where I force people on the internet to pretend to be my friend for about an hour and a half, and then I cut out the chunks where they forget that they're supposed to be my friend and only leave the good stuff, and then force you guys to listen to it. Welcome, Kelsey, to your your me forcing you to be my friend episode (laughs) yay this is fun i like it (laughs) Uh, yeah no most people seem to enjoy that or i force them to pretend like they enjoy it um kelsey you are uh an incredible person who i admire greatly and uh Butterflies are just, I've, I've forgotten to eat today, my mouth is dry, I'm sweating profusely, everything is like going numb because I'm so excited to be talking to you. And it's all because you write Dungeons and Dragons modules and, uh, and things like that. Welcome. Thank you so much. That's the most kind introduction I think I've ever gotten. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah? All right. Well, you know, if you ever need me to introduce you anywhere else, you just call me up. I'll do it. Can I just bring you to every con with me and just yes. be like, this is my hype guy, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play with me, Kelsey. I'll do it. <laughs> I will be your troubadour. Okay, I'll first- stand at the corner just singing your praises. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> For, for everybody else, uh, for our listeners, our audience, hopefully the two or three people that are going to watch this on YouTube, uh, do you want to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm Kelsey Dion from the Arcane Library. Um, I write Dungeons & Dragons adventures, primarily 5th edition, um, the most recent version of the game. And lately I've been dabbling in writing older style Dungeons and Dragons things as well. So I'm working on a game that um, is a blend of like the older D&D rules with the newer stuff and trying to make it into a weird sandwich of everything I like about all of the 40 years of gaming we've had. So that's that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Nice, very cool. Um, so you, you write, um, you write modules, which I maybe uh, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners probably don't even understand what that means. Do you want to explain what it what it is uh, specifically that you write? Yeah, no, that's a great you know thing to mention because module. I might even throw that word out there without realizing it because it's kind of like <laughs> jargon in our um, industry. But it's essentially, I mean, with the game of Dungeons and Dragons, it's basically a, a lead story where you have somebody who's the quote unquote judge. And then you have real people playing characters and you see the story develop in real time. Um, And a module is essentially a short story for the game. So you're writing kind of a script slash set of rules for somebody to use for their friends to turn into a story. And usually you're presenting a problem that these characters, the players have to solve, hopefully not die, hopefully achieve something (laughs) heroic and have a fun time. And um, it's all about giving the the players and the dungeon master the things they need to make a contained fun story yeah yeah so it's it's almost as if you're writing 
choose your own adventure stories, right? Like, right. Like I remember yeah, going, exactly. going back into the nineties when goosebumps was a thing. I had a couple of the goosebumps yes. choose your own adventures and it was by far the most stressful thing I've ever gone through in my childhood <laughs> because like my parents got a divorce and I prefer that over doing another goosebumps uh, choose your own because you die every single time. <laughs> you can't and like it's like got the worst lessons in it. Like, do you do you like help the stranger in need? Oh, okay, you die. Yeah, you know, like, it's just, like, <laughs> absolutely terrifies all children and gives them incredible stranger danger slash yeah. the belief that there is a mummy under their bed. Right, as I still believe. You wake up mm -hmm. at night. Okay, I get out of my bed. You die. You're dead now. Okay, I'm never getting out of bed. <laughs> ever again <laughs> goosebumps taught me how to survive <laughs> oh man that's gonna be a shirt <laughs> goosebumps taught me how to survive um so let's talk about let's talk about how you create modules because i feel like that's got to be kind of complicated the process of like you i'm guessing you have like an idea like oh this would be interesting and then as, as you kind of expand it it becomes more and more complicated, right? It does. I mean, I think that um, there's always kind of two sides to the process because when you're writing for a game, there's sort of this mechanical like game rules stuff happening under the hood, and you're trying to you're trying to juggle like a cool story that matches the genre you're writing for, and then fitting it into like rules and and a process that are gonna feel fun for the people who are playing. So um, there's not, I don't know if there's a lot of guidance. That, I mean, plenty of people have, have talked about and written about how to write engaging adventures, but it's still, at the end of the day, it still feels like you're kind of feeling it out. And I, I don't think I've ever written any adventure using the exact same process as the one before it. It's always a little bit of a different animal each time. Mm. Like yeah, it, because but, you learn something comes... from your last one and then you apply that kind of new knowledge or just because you want to experiment? Well, both, in fact. And like sometimes it's because, yes, you you learn some tricks or some ways to, to make things happen a little more easily this time around. But, um, yeah, there, there's always a form of experimentation. Like you have an idea that, that you have to figure out how to convey it that's way different from something you've ever written. Um, you were just telling me about an adventure of mine you were scoping out where yep. I was trying to do something I had never done before and I had to really think about um, how am I, without any spoilers, like how am I going to convey this really weird the sort of magical effect and make it exciting and fun for the players when it's like so different from something I've ever written. Um, there's some like mind control involved and some like teleporting through space in weird ways and it's just like you have to think like how am I going to how am I going to take what I'm imagining and make it concrete enough for someone to use yeah. and convey to other people? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. Uh, I, 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 I can't even like, I, I write stories and I get overwhelmed just with like the narrative aspect, right? Like I can control what somebody says and how somebody reacts to something. And even then I get overwhelmed with the options available to me. I can't imagine how hard it is to put yourself in that position of like, okay, I'm going to write this story, but I need to be able to know every single possible option 
you know, everybody can make at any time. <laughs> it's just so much pressure to me. I, maybe I'm hyping it up a bit, but it it seems like a very like um, a Charles Xavier type of situation. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, well, you're definitely giving me way more credit than I deserve because it's it's true that almost anything could happen in an adventure because you're letting the players be the heroes and decide what they do. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of, there's a lot, like when you're writing, you're sort of guiding people towards, towards things and you can never force somebody to do something in a D&D adventure. But, um, you try to write around like maybe the like 20% most likely outcomes mm. because there's no way to cover everything. I've tried it. It's impossible. It never <laughs> works out. You have a 15 mile long section that just is too much. And so you get Curse um, of Strahd. That's what you end up with. <laughs> you get Curse of Strahd. I know, which I love, but yeah. I think it's a cool, it's a really cool campaign. But like it used to be the style kind of maybe 20 years ago where writers were celebrated by how many contingencies they could they could write that they, like they could write to mm -hmm. in their published work and the mentality is flipped completely now where it's like you really just try to give the the people playing the most likely stuff and you hope that you have provided like the villain's motivation and how they think and so the person running the game can actually come up with that on their own if they need to yeah and it's sort of like turning the, the dungeon master from a battle robot into like an active participant where they get to think and make things up too. So yeah, I kind of prefer that style. Sure. And so what got yeah. you into this? Like, did you just wake up one day? Like just, I have to write a module or like, was this, was, were, were you like baby Kelsey writing modules your whole life? How did this happen? Yeah, I well, I've I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons pretty pretty much since middle school, so it's a long time for me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> oh man, but it's it's a uh, yeah. When I think on it, I'm like, whoa, that was like twenty plus years ago now. But um, oh come on, why are you doing this to I, me? Now I'm doing the math. Yeah, it's been it's know, been too like, long. Don't add it up or subtract. No. Um, <laughs> It's weird. It's weird because I I think I'm very lucky that I got brought into d and I had wonderful friends when I was in middle school. You know, middle school can go either way for people. It can either be horrible or they can make good friends. And um, I was really lucky to have a crowd of wonderful people who taught me how to play, brought me into their gaming group. Um, and I just got obsessed. I loved the game. Uh, I started off as a player. And then one day our dungeon master, who actually is like this really... I didn't know this at the time, but like a, a revered person in the D&D community since a long time ago. Mm. His name is James Mishler, and he's like this very well-known like writer, and he's done so much contribution to the early days of D&D. And he was like our hometown dungeon master. Like oh, we didn't nice. know this, but this guy was running games for us on Saturdays. And um, there was a snowstorm one time, and he couldn't make it in, but we all got into the game store somehow. And my friends were like, whoa what are we going to do? We have to play D&D &D today. And so I <laughs> foolishly volunteered to be the dungeon master. And it was over. And had an absolute blast. Yeah. yeah it was over. I was, I was like, this is, this is what I got to do now is be the dungeon master. So, um, yeah. you know, fast forward, I, I struggled for, I will say, I wanted to start writing adventures even then as a kid. And I tried and mostly failed. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a process. Like I didn't really know how to do it. 
And so I kind of struggled and floundered around trying to write adventures and never really completing any until like, honestly, like maybe six or seven years ago. Mm. And and then I was working a day job and still playing D&D and being like, why can't I, why can't I try this? Like, why can't I try publishing my work and just seeing if people like it? And my wife was like, you have to do this. You have to give it a shot. She took me to a coffee shop. She had a notebook and she was like, we're going to write down, like, what do you need nice. to, to make your first adventure? Like, what do you got to do to get it published? Like, I can't just let you have this dream I, and then just I, let it, like, drift can away. Can I borrow your wife for a little bit so that I can I get... <laughs> <laughs> she just needs to like be there with a notebook for everybody like yeah. what is your dream all right, what's next know? do it <laughs> do it all right i know and i really don't know if i ever would have had the courage to go for it if she hadn't taken me she took me seriously yeah when i did not take my own self seriously and because i never thought you know people are like well you want to write D&D stuff is your job like good luck like pie in the sky kind of dream and like everyone yeah. around you says it's not possible right and um, then she was like, no, you, you, you should try it. So yeah. I did, I did. And then, um, wrote a bunch of garbage and then refined it and then tried to refine it further and eventually came up with something that I liked. And then I didn't stop after that. So that's awesome. That's why we're here. I think it's, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I identify, I resonate a lot with the, the wife kind of pushing you along. Um, I know for me, mm-hmm. when I met, uh, my my wife obviously when I met her she wasn't my wife my girlfriend um, <clears throat> you know we we went to we went camping together with her family and we just kind of went on this hike around a lake and the whole time all we did was tell each other these stories that we wanted to write one day and uh, that's where it was like okay first of all this is awesome I love talking about stories Second of all, I'm in love with this woman and I want to spend the rest of my, I want to, I want to go on a walk around a lake every day with her so that we can, we can write our stories. And, and so that was what propelled me into like, I want to do this for real because to me, it's more than just some crazy idea. It's a story that I really want to get out there. Um, and ever since then, I mean, my wife is the same way she's not she's not as much uh organized and you know like pushy as <laughs> as that but she's very much like all right you know what have you written and and i want to read it and and she's she encourages me and stuff so yeah i love that i absolutely love that um that you are given permission to take yourself seriously because of the person in your life yeah isn't that amazing that we both have i mean I wish everybody had someone who would do that for them. And I I guess it's not, it's not the case, but, um, I think that just knowing that you can take yourself seriously and that you should was the, the, the major first step, right? So if somebody doesn't have a Rebecca or a Jesse in their life, they should be their own version of that for now and try to take themselves seriously and say like, you know, I don't need to listen to people saying, Oh, you can't write for a living. You can't because like, if anyone thought they couldn't write for a living, it was me. I was I was a, a failed journalist essentially, and mm. I had moved into like working in tech. So I'd given up on writing almost entirely, and yeah. then um, I just wasn't writing the right stuff. It turned out like what I had to write what I cared about, which was D and D, you know. And it sounds like you also care about the things you write about if you talk Sometimes. about it with your yeah. wife on a whole lot. <laughs> like you got to be invested and care about it. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Just need a cheerleader. Yeah, exactly. So all you people without cheerleaders, 
go out and find one. It's yes. sometimes harder than it seems. We'll, we'll be your cheerleaders just yeah. in case you need one. Hey, I invite everybody at the end of every episode to come write and, and show us your work. And trust me, I will cheerlead the shit out of your work. Um, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about... Uh, Let's talk about you. You talked earlier before we started. Well, I was recording, but we hadn't done the, in, the awkward intro yet. Um, we were talking <laughs> about uh, Robert E. Howard and, you know, his uh, sword and sorcery stuff. But I know that there's somebody you were talking before that about someone else that you're a big fan of. Uh, Garth Nix. Is that did I say it right? You did. Well, actually, yes. I, I didn't he's because he's Australian, so it'd be like, Goth Nix? No, that was bad. That was a That's bad... <laughs> might? That rot. sounded more authentic to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably how he says it. Right. So we got to go by that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, right. And he, he is... He's, um, he's, a more mo- he's, he's a more modern author. He's a still alive and very active writer, and he writes fantasy fiction and, and all like kind of a, a smattering of genres but he wrote um this novel called Sabriel and I that was one that was one of the first like fantasy books I encountered around the time I actually started playing D&D hmm. and I really that book for some reason really shaped me because I think that the the I hadn't often read a book where the protagonist was a woman who just kind of was she wasn't supposed to be like a strong female protagonist. She was just like, I'm just here being this person who's trying to do something heroic. And it, it didn't feel forced or anything. Mm. And he's got a real talent for writing female characters who who have that like admirable vibe to them that, that doesn't feel forced. And I, I really appreciate that in his work. And um, so he he's written that book a bunch of books inspired by that one and he also writes like short stories um like sword and sorcery ones Mm -hmm. that i think are hysterical like there's there's a series called um it's about these two characters named sir hereward and mr fitz and it's there it's got like magic and like swashbuckling sword fighting and stuff and these are these are a pair of very strange heroes who are trying to basically save the world from little <clears throat> little like semi-powerful deities like the world is full of like these little godlings mm-hmm. that are causing all this trouble and so these are sword and sorcery stories about their adventures trying to keep the world in balance and it's so entertaining and funny nice i just gushed about him i love his work <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great uh i mean what was it how did you discover his work I am so lucky that my mom is an English teacher and her really good friend was the librarian. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. yeah. So I got, um, I got like 16 different people encouraging me slash giving me access to books and libraries and all that. So um, I I think my mom actually found that book and she was like, would you like to read this one? And I was like, (laughs) of course. So thanks to her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know it, it's always interesting when parents try to uh, try to get their kids to read uh, what mm-hmm. what they try to approach them with. You know, obviously you you read books for class and school and stuff. Um, my dad was the one that really tried to to push me to read more, and it was uh, <laughs> some fucked up stuff, man. Um, 
There was a book he had me read called Dead Air, and it's it's this Christian fundamentalist kind of novel. Um, it's it's entertaining for what it is. It's like watching a Christian like produced movie, you know. Like I don't know if wow, you yeah. I don't know if you've ever watched those, but uh, I'm sure I have, and I don't know if I knew it or not. Like but... the Left Behind series with uh, Kurt Cameron. Like imagine that. But a book for well, that oh. is, there is a book version of that. It's called Left Behind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> already based on a book. Yeah. Like... Anyway, uh, Dead Air. It's it's about this uh, this radio DJ who like argues with people for a living, and uh, and then one night some little girl calls him, says that she got like kidnapped by a cult, and so he has to go find her, and then it turns out that it was her mom and her that got kidnapped, and so he has to find the mom, and then like. They go to all these meetings and, like, stuff to figure out, like, what's happening. And he finds out how gross and fucked up these cults are. And then it turns out that the cult leader is the girl's dad. And it's, uh, man, it was gross. And, like, for I'm, like, in seventh or eighth grade reading this. And it was, like, I went back and read it as an adult because I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I read this book. And I read it and I'm like, what the fuck? Why did my dad let me read this? this. (laughs) Oh, no. But then he followed it up with Narnia. Like, (laughs) he followed that up with freaking Narnia. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, these two these two books are on the same level. That's totally fine. Oh, no. He's like, I'm going to apologize to you. There's a series called Narnia. And yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry oh, I made no. you that. No, he still stands by. He gave me the se- the sequel to that book, and it's even more fucked up. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. That is that is so funny. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess, yeah, parents are like, I mean, good, honest attempt at getting kids to read, you know, mm-hmm. like, whatever it takes, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> my mom cracks me up because she... She she loves um, anything that will get high schoolers to read, sure. right? And she's like, she's a big like, she's a literacy coach, like all this, and so, um, so she she like would get me to read stuff that like I don't know if I ever would have normally read. Like I read the entire Twilight series because my mom was like, my high school kids love this, and it's getting them to read. And apparently, it was getting really reluctant readers to actually pick up a book and read some fiction. And so sure. I ended up reading this and like. She was like, oh, yeah, there's this book called Fifty Shades of Grey. No. And I was like, oh, you're reading that? Okay, I'll scope it out. And then I was like, no! <laughs> you know, like, oh, no, my mom is reading this. Now she knows I read some of it. And, like, so that's always been kind of a thing I've had going on with my mom, too, where she'll, like, put something on my radar, and I just, I don't know what's about to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so funny because I, within the last three weeks i've had people talk to me about twilight and 50 shades of gray so much out of like randomly out of the air (laughs) my wife uh, every year rebecca forces me to watch the twilight movies because she likes to make fun of them not because she likes them but because she like she ultimately hates them and she wants to watch them with me and make fun of them and i'm like yeah, this was fun a year ago. I don't want to do it again. But then we watch it. And it's like, oh, it's so bad. Um, oh, no. So now I don't understand why the stars are aligning like this. I guess like Mercury's in retrograde. But now Hannah is making me do an episode on Stephanie Myers and and uh, <gasps> and that the the Twilight book. So so that's where my life oh, is. That's fun. Yeah. 
that'll be yeah you're it's all these things are coming together i don't know why um because you're right i feel like people also when they talk about twilight I, I feel like Fifty Shades of Grey came out with around the same era. Like they were, they existed as popular books during the same time period. So I always think of them when I think of like, what's something I either should not have or would never have <laughs> chosen to read on my own around that time period. But that's that's so, so you're going to actually do an episode on Stephanie Myers. Yeah, yeah, we are. If if we yeah. haven't already, I mean, the correspondence episodes are kind of like we. This might come out next week. This might come out next month. I don't know, but um, okay. yeah, with by the end of summer, we're supposed to do Stephanie Myers. So yeah, that's you can does tell. This I'm mean so excited. You're gonna read. Yeah, a I'm bunch gonna, of a bunch of the Twilight books. <laughs> not a bunch, just the one. Just the one Twilight book is all I'm gonna commit <laughs> to at this point. Uh, you won't be able to stop yourself. I'm telling you. <laughs> I can guarantee you, I can. I will. You no, know, you probably will. Honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey that was technically a fan fiction of Twilight, right? Like it was. It was. It yeah. was like, hey, what if they weren't vampires and werewolves? Instead, they just whipped and chained each other, right? There you go. Yeah, I I was shocked when I found that out because. Full disclosure, I did not finish reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I was like, man, this is really not my, my vibe. But, like, um, I didn't really notice strong parallels between the two, except the fact that the female protagonist is, like, completely powerless in her own fate and future at all times. Sure. That, that was the only parallel I could find, but um, that's about it. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I think it took – I think the reason why it became so big is because it did end up taking its its own kind of thing – it, it had its own life uh, because it was different mm-hmm. enough. But then, like, that little spark of, mm-hmm. oh, it was, it was fan fiction first uh, really kind of gave it some something interesting to talk about. Yeah. I don't know. And what how that... often does somebody's fan fiction become, like, an international bestseller? I mean, that's, like, the dream come true for fandom. So. Yeah, I've never. You just got to add whips to Harry Potter and then suddenly. No, no don't. Please don't. No. Do that. Uh, no someone, I'm, I think someone already has. I think it's called uh, My Immortal, oh, no. is what it's called. Oh, no. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Britt Winchester from the Contrivance podcast, forced me to read the first like three chapters with her on a podcast that she wanted to start. Uh, so that was fun. You brave soul. Yeah. Uh, and that's. I mean, I guess yeah. that's kind of you know. Whenever there's a fandom, there will be fan fiction about it, and then there will be constantly racing to the bottom style fan fiction <laughs> as time goes on. So. Uh, rule forty three, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> part of me is always interested to just see like how bad can it be, like. Like people say, oh yeah, you haven't seen it. It's it's bad. And I'm like, I want to see how bad it. What has someone done to this thing? I feel like that's exactly it is. Yeah, it does get you curious. Like, what did they do with this source material? And then like, and then like, there are for sure some fan fiction writers out there who are actually extremely talented writers. Yeah, they're like they they write like really great scenes where you're like, wow, like they're great. And so I don't know. It, maybe it's just a way for. I guess it's the write what you love mentality. Sure. You know? I mean, yeah. When I when I mm-hmm. first started writing, the first thing I ever wrote was uh, in in essence uh, a crossover type fan fiction 
mm-hmm. because one of the other books I read as a kid was it's a book called This Present Darkness and it's all you know it's like a it's a story of this small town and the reporters and cops and people dealing with you know the all the stuff happening in town but then like aside of from that you see the spiritual realm where angels and demons are fighting each other and it's like badass it's like this is dope i I just make this the whole story because this is all i care about um and so so as a kid i wrote i i started writing this story called the bracelet bearer uh which very quickly i realized as an adult was very much the hobbit or not the hobbit but lord of the rings mixed with this the present darkness story where this kid gets a bracelet that that kind of teleports him to the spiritual realm and he and he does angel demon fighting stuff and and so like that is in essence fan fiction of those two things put together um and it's just a way to kind of try out uh the process of writing you know and being creative and i think a lot of people they they get so wrapped up in the I'm gonna write fan fiction that they don't realize that they are good writers and they don't have the confidence to say no this is my original work let me write some original work because yeah. they're they've like put themselves into the box of fan fiction writer right and I I, I wonder too I mean I wonder if people who sort of have the title of fan fiction writer if they um, if they feel like that's not like a worthy title in some way, or they yeah. like, they're like, oh, well, I'm only a fan fiction writer, like, which they shouldn't feel that way because look again, look at Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, best selling material. I'm not, I'm not sure. I actually don't know if it's good because I didn't finish. Reading, but, um, <laughs> that was fan fiction. So, and I, you know, what's funny? I, as we were talking about this, it just occurred to me that I think that Dungeons and Dragons, like what I do, is it's really fan, it's fan fiction because. I'm writing in a shared universe where there's a lot of crossover between other authors and a lot of continuity. And you know, a dragon's a dragon and like things work in a certain way in a uniform way across the rules. And so I'm like, holy smokes, I think what I do is in some form fan fiction as well. Sure, yeah. What do you know? I think think you're right. And honestly, and nothing against you or anything, but like, have you thought about the idea that maybe you should stop writing the, these modules and start writing your own stories, your own novels. I've, you know, that would be so fun. And I've absolutely thought I've definitely taken stabs at writing, um, like prose fiction and I've never really gotten to finishing any of it. And I, I'm not totally sure why. Um, I don't know ultimately because I, I, I almost feel like writing D and D material is my, preferred style sure. in a way um and it's not like it always comes easily but i, I feel like it's it, for some reason it's a way that i can express my ideas that i'm satisfied with yeah and then when i turn around and try to write prose fiction i just can't quite get there with it so maybe i just need to try it again because there's a lot of crossover for sure i think but in, who knows <clears throat> for me i i was like i was like i'm i want to write comic books because that's you know kind of kind of the same idea i was like ah, i don't know if i'm good at prose i'm just gonna do comic books because i i know i know comic books i like the idea of writing comic books and then i wrote a graphic novel air quotes for our audio listeners um that ended up being sixty-five thousand words long like 
that w- yeah way too long for a graphic novel insanely too long it wasn't a good it wasn't a good book either it was a it was a piece of shit story so n- never gonna happen no. but the point is i wrote sixty five thousand words a novel is 50 right and so i was like holy shit i can write a novel like i can do this and so i started the whole process of like okay let's try and write a novel and i think i skipped a whole step there and a step that i'm now going back and trying to do now um now that i'm trying to like really become a real author and and work on my writing is write short stories you know and and what i've learned through doing this podcast has been like all of the the best authors that we know of started writing short stories. Stephen King, Lovecraft, uh, uh, Herbert, all of them. Like it, they all wrote stuff that's shorter because they were trying to l- practice their voice and and their technique and the the act of creating a story. Um, and so. I want to do that. Like, and so that's what I've been working on for the past probably like six months now is, is trying to write shorter stories, things that, you know, could grow into something more, but that's not the point. And so that would be my, that would, you know, just a little bit of advice. Like maybe don't try to write a novel. Maybe just try to write a short piece, maybe like 2000 words, maybe 5,000, maybe 10,000 if you really want to do it. But I know having read a lot of your modules, you're creative enough to write some fucking awesome short stories. Um, so Thank you. Let me talk to your Aww. wife. Hold on. Let me talk to your wife and tell her to get on your ass to get that shit written. <laughs> Pull her on. <laughs> She'd be like, what do we need to do yeah. to write a short story? Let's get write these short stories. Yeah. I know. That's Oh, that's so funny. She's You're, you're right. And you know what? I think similar to you, um, I went from trying to write prose to writing adventures and like found my way through that. And like maybe what I need to do is move back now towards the the like a shorter kind of like a short story style because now i've seen that i can create a process for writing and finishing something that contains like characters and plot and yeah you know even some dialogue and stuff like that that all comes into play in D writing so yeah well i'll i might i might for funsies try to take a crack at it and you know whatever i write uh might never see the light of day <laughs> but it At least you did do. it. And I, I love reading. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you always have, have critique you had any partners. Like we'll be we'll be more than happy to read your stuff and, and give you honest feedback. Mine will be really supportive. Hannah's, if you have her read it, she'll tear you apart. But in a good way. Oh good. She does that for me and she makes you me better. You need that. Yeah. You need that. It's hard to find it gets harder and harder to find um like honest critique the you know I don't know. It, it, it can get hard. I will say, like, now that I have a few adventures published under my belt, um, you know, I don't get to, like, I don't get to sneak around and have people, like, blow up what I write online and, like, see what they're saying and, mm-hmm. and you know, get some good feedback from that. I feel like it's a little harder to find someone who's really, like, willing to rip something that I wrote and really, like, give it to me straight about how bad it might be. Yeah. So, um, there's still people in my life who do that, but it's, it cracks me up how I have to be like, no, no, you, you should be mean to me about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, going back, I, I was able to finish a short story, um, when somebody approached me about writing a short story that they might be able to use as kind of the guide for a, a a video project that they wanted to do, which I was like, yeah, that's dope. 
Um, and so it took me almost a full year, but I was able to write it. And I, I am like extremely happy with the way that it turned out. And so now I'm in the process of reaching out to some writer friends to be like, Hey, tear this thing a new a-hole because I need to know before I send it to this guy, if he's interested in really making this into a video, I need to know I'm sending him good work so that he knows I'm serious. So it's still a matter of building a lot of confidence for me because the stuff I have written, I, you know, I've gone back and read and been like, wow, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of that writing. I can do better. But then when I do write, I'm worried that I'm still writing at that, you know, that, at that level I was at two, five, ten years ago. Uh, so that's a lot of it for I, me. Yeah. That, that is hard. I, I think that way too about my work. Like I look back at the earlier stuff I published and I'm like, oh, wow, I've definitely learned a thing or two since then. But sure. um, that doesn't necessarily take away the merit of that work. And I think it still has enough quality to be worthwhile. But you, it's fun to see yourself growing as a writer and to notice that you've improved your techniques in ways that you never even could have guessed at. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all part of the process, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, What's the life of a of a content creator such as yourself? What what's what's life like for you? Just this is, I guess, maybe more of a. I'm curious. Um, what's what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> what do I do all day? I know. I don't even know. Um, no, I. Um, I would say about 20% of my day is spent lamenting how I don't have a very concrete set of processes for how I do the things I have to do. Um, you know, it's a constant work in progress, but um, I primarily what I do is um, try to balance like creating stuff between um, nurturing what already exists in a way. So um, I have a community of people who support my work and um it's really important to me to get to spend time talking with people in that way and like seeing what's interesting to people and like enthusiasm is contagious. So like, you know, if someone's excited about some announcement in the D and D world and then we're all talking about it, like on discord, it gets me excited and then I find inspiration and want to write. So Mm. I don't think inspiration can appear in a vacuum and you have to be out there collaborating and talking to people and getting excited about the stuff you care about. So, I've actually found that a lot of, uh, at least like, I don't know, I'd, I'd say at least 30% of my day is about trying to make sure that I maintain excitement for and seek out inspiration for the work that I'm doing. Um, Real quick, uh, not you know, to derail you or anything, yeah. but you said there's a community of people, and, and I'll be honest, I, I looked really hard. I couldn't find a mm-hmm. Patreon for you. Do you have a Patreon? I don't. No, I don't. (laughs) I don't. I've gone around and around about whether I ought to do it, but I'm so bad at publishing like Mm. on a consistent schedule and I don't want people to be disappointed by the fact that they're my patron, but I'm not putting work out. So I am supported 100% by people buying things through my website, 100%. So I would just say, um, I'm just just saying me personally, I would be supporting your Patreon, uh, even if it's inconsistent uh, production. Uh, I'm not going to talk for anybody else on your Discord or, or anybody listening, but I, when I find someone, and I, and I do this with, uh, with uh, the Monster Hour podcast, I don't even care about getting their newest episode. I don't. 
I just love their show so much and I love your work so much that I just want to help you out in any way I can because I know how much Patreon can support people. And so, like, you know, e- even if it's just a, a part of your your support, that just saying, if you come out with it, just email me. Let me know. Thank you. You make a persuasive case for, you know, I should consider it. And I, I know you can set it up that it only would, like, charge a patron if you actually release something instead of it being, like, a monthly thing, which I would, I would feel a lot better about. <laughs> so, um yeah, I'll, I'll think. I'll think about that. Yeah, sorry. I, again, I didn't mean I to derail you or anything. I, I just, I just wanted to. No, before no. I forgot. But it's funny because it does tie into kind of the whole me being like, wow, I spend most of my time trying to get inspired because it's, it's kind of true where um, I don't release material consistently because it sort of is, like, I don't want to say like a, no writer should ever feel held hostage by the muse mm. or like inspiration, but. You, it's, it is something that you have to cultivate, as I'm sure you know, too. You don't just come up with ideas in a vacuum. Like, you have to be experiencing things or watching movies or revisiting material you love from the past and, like, sort of immersing yourself in what you love in order to extract new ideas. Yeah. And so I, I, I try to actually, like, let myself be okay with that process. I used to beat myself up and be like, I didn't write anything today, you know, and... And, you know, the writing comes eventually when you have ideas start to bubble up to the surface. And so you need to, the fastest way to get to the ideas is to encourage that process, I've found. Yeah. For me. So, so I definitely spend time every day doing that. And then, and then I also, I try to spend time every day kind of poking and prodding at the current projects I have active. I'm usually writing like two or three things at the same time. Hmm. And, uh, you know, between both things, I eventually get work out there. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's how it, that's how it pans out. Yeah, I I know for me like, <clears throat> and I again I haven't built up the confidence of I could produce things at a given time or or a rate, but just just the pressure of like oh this is my income now this is how I eat mm-hmm. would that would just that would fuck with me so hard I don't know that I could produce so how do you handle that? Yeah, I, that's. It, that can be kind of ab, like a concerning, it can be a worry no matter whether you're super successful or just getting started. Um, and one way I tried to kind of prevent that from becoming a, a like a major buzzkill for me was I, I didn't jump into this full time until I had ways set up for me to know I would be able to, to get by consistently whether or not I'm producing new work on a regular basis. So, yeah. um, I worked part-time on the Arcane Library for almost like three years growing it until I was like, yes, I'm really confident that I could, you know, break both my legs and be stuck in bed for three months, but still have enough overall income coming in to like cover me. So um, I think that not jumping ship too soon and saying, yes, I'm allowed to build this up till it's ready was the first thing that was super important with that. And then... um, you know, there are times where it's still a little bit like, well, I better write something quick, you know, like <laughs> it, it can get that way. But um, I I haven't found it to be any more stressful than being in a job I hated. I'll put it that way. Sure. So being in a job I didn't like, didn't like doing, I think overall was far worse for my mental health than than some of the uncertainty that might come with what I do now. So it, it's, for me, it's a happy trade. 
do you ever find yourself in a slump? And if so, how do you kind of get yourself out of that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I this is so funny because I would I'm kind of coming out of one right now where um, last I would so at the end of 2020, 2019. No, it it's was all one. It's I all one wrote year. And published. <laughs> yeah, it was all this. It's basically the same year. It's the COVID era. Yeah. yeah. Um, so during that strange two year long one year period, I um, <laughs> wrote of and published, I think, seven or eight adventures in like a 12 week period, mm. which was insane. Like for me, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. And um, that was a huge, like a huge marathon in a way for me for writing. And I've kind of been recovering <laughs> ever since that. So I've spent maybe the last like four or five months kind of poking at projects and having half formed ideas and working on them and saying like, you know, I don't think this is going to work and setting it aside. Um, and I think only now I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, yes, I have some things that I feel like I want to take to the finish line, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, things like the, the bursts of creativity do sometimes come in peaks and valleys for me at least. So and sometimes having a deadline helps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like last year I was like, I want to get horror material out in time for Halloween. Mm. And that was a great target that really helped push me into doing a lot of late nights you know on things sure yeah Mm -hmm. and then i go and play those horror things and make my family get really mad at me because i tpk them so you know it's great oh no yeah oh i totally i feel so bad whenever i (laughs) i've had people reach out to me and be like yeah your adventure killed my entire party of eight level players and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) sorry And, and it is um I know that it can be kind of difficult with with that because you create them at a certain level. Is there a lot of like, do you do a lot of math for that sort of thing where like you're like, this is level six, but and you're throwing in creatures that are like, uh, sorry, listeners who don't play D&D, but you're throwing like CR eight and nine creatures in there. And you're assuming, okay, yeah. they're going to be fighting maybe one encounter here, and then they're going to fight this big big guy that's even higher CR than what they should be, and then they're going to go fight the actual bad guy. Like, you know, that's kind of, I've seen a little bit of that formula. Is that, do you do that? No, like, I guess maybe f- for me as a DM, it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't like it making my characters I die, and I want to do that. So, I know it's well. It's I have a lot of it is based on math. Thankfully, a lot of it is um, like kind of baked into the system. So something can seem really crazy, but um, but the under the hood side of things is really heavily based in math. So. It's never going to be, it's never going to be flawless. So like, you know, when you're rolling dice and a lot of what happens is based on randomness, um, eventually you're going to hit a point where like it goes bad for everybody in, in a sort of rare way and then bad stuff happens. But um, generally speaking, like in the vast majority of cases, when you're staying within these sort of math-based guidelines and you're not doing anything too crazy outside of them, you're going you're gonna to get... Um, expected outcomes sure. on it so um yeah so i it's it yeah like throwing like a like a super powerful monster at the players um can seem really scary but it's usually made up for in some way in the prior steps of the mm. adventure like i 
you're giving Secretly them something. did not or, throw hard things at them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all part of the design, the design process where you're trying to control, much like in fiction, when you're writing prose, is pacing is a huge element of it. And in Dungeons and Dragons, story pacing is tied to math. Like, yeah. the definition of how something clocks in and the pacing is going to be very tied to the math behind it. Sure. And <clears throat> so I know I, I gushed pretty hard earlier um that was that was before you know our audience was supposed to be listening so i'm gonna do it again um (laughs) i i think that something that you do is absolutely amazing is that you produce the videos where you walk people through your own modules i can't tell you how how much that uh helps me as a dm who does basically no prep like <laughs> i don't have time to prep i'm like that too <laughs> so i've had Thank i've you. had uh there's there's the rolled and told magazines have you ever seen those before i have heard of those yeah, yeah those are cool i picked up uh the they released two like hardcover volumes with all of their adventures and and i've played through them and they're really fun but there's sometimes where an adventure that they've created leaves out some kind of important information or it's very mm-hmm. nebulous. And so it's up to me to figure it out. And I didn't plan on trying to figure that out. So then my player does something and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. You die. <laughs> like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's I don't know what to do in that moment. But with with your work, it's like you haven't just started to write really good stories in your modules. You've also learned how to present the information in a way that is very um, approachable to new DMs and DMs that just don't have time. Um, Like it's literally something where you buy these modules just in case you are the prepper version of DMing like. If I if someone's like, hey, we want to play tonight. We just need you to DM, and you're like, uh, uh, okay, yeah, I think I got some arcane library stuff, and like literally, you can just open it up and read it really quickly. But then you go that extra step of walking people through it in the videos, where um, you explain so many of the important parts that I I could read it for two hours and collect what I think is important or I can watch a 20 minute video and you explain to me the important parts it's just beautiful just absolutely wonderful thank you that is so nice to hear I'm so glad to hear that because I love making those videos but I, I you know I'm never totally sure if they're useful to people except when in the case of when they tell me it was so I really appreciate that and I you know Things have changed so much in 40 years. This game has existed for 40, 50, going on 50 years. And mm-hmm. we have so many tools at our disposal now. And like you said, like we're, you know, people who used to write would write each other letters and collaborate that way. But now we have like, I can explain things to you through video as a part of the adventure. And I was like, when I first set out doing this, I was like, why wouldn't I try to leverage that? You know, like when I, when I asked my friends like, oh, what'd you think of that adventure? They gave me like a 15 minute recap of the adventure and then I get it. And I was like, well, I wish I could do this for everyone who was running my stuff. So I'm glad to hear you like those. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, and I know you mentioned earlier, like, oh, I, I don't know. You're not sure if you want to ever 
if you can ever start streaming D and D. But I mean, seriously, if you can, doing it where you play through the adventures that you're writing to show a DM like this is kind of this is what you can do with it, would or what you had in mind would just be literally a whole nother level of stuff where I would subscribe to that just to see how you run it, how you would and picture things happening on top of, you know, watching players try their hand at it. Um, and when you do call me, I, I demand to be a part of that cast and crew and, and yes. hopefully, uh, <laughs> you know, play something. That would be so cool. I would love to do something like that. Like, I'm definitely going to, you know what? I, I was definitely thinking of doing some things like that for the game that I'm writing because no one's ever played it before. And I'm like, how else am I going to show people how to play this? I don't want to like write them like a step-by-step, you know, Ikea, like, you know, <laughs> like a, a guide of some kind. Like it would be great to just show people a game and have them get a feel for it that way. Because I mean, isn't that how most people learn to play D&D is like you have a friend teach you. Yeah. Yeah, you you don't know what D and D is until you show up and they're like, "Here, you're playing the orc barbarian because that's the easiest character to play," and you know now we're going on an adventure and and then you you just do it and you have fun and then you're hooked and twenty years later you start a podcast about D and D and shit. That's right. <laughs> Your futures will be podcasting in twenty years about this game. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, though. I, I love that. And so that's what I would love to do most, too, is, like, I really appreciate getting to to make stuff for people to use and then, like, helping them use it. Because that's what I wanted. When I was first writing adventures and, like, I floundered. I really did flounder for, like, years, probably for, like, 10, 10 15 years trying to figure out how to write and convey stuff for adventures. And, like, I would ask people who had published work, I'd be like, how do you write an adventure? And everyone would tell me like their different version of it. And I, you know, I, so I, as someone who struggled so greatly with getting to that end result at first, like I empathize so much with people who want the guidance, you know, who want to be explained, like, why is it set up this way? Like, what is the important stuff to know? Like, that's all stuff that I, I, I really enjoy conveying to people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, I you know I'm I'm lot that I've got this uh, crazy Charlie Day looking notepad here full of things that I want to ask and talk about. Um, do you have advice for like new DMs for people who are just getting into it? Yeah, would it be? Do you think like for people who want to run games or people who want to write or or both potentially? Both, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you to yeah. not give people advice. <laughs> Yeah, because I think, you know, it's funny is it might even be different depending. Like for someone who wants to learn how to run D&D games, I would say start by start by playing in a couple. Um, play in a few games and like maybe even play where it's not always the same DM. Like see how people DM differently. Like play two games with one friend and then have your other friend run two games and like see how they do it and what one person is good at and what the other person, you know, brings to the table. Because I learned so much about how to be an effective DM by having many different DMs show me their tricks, yeah. you know? Um, so, and, and then don't be afraid to jump in because even now I've been doing this for so long, I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing sometimes when I sit down at a table and like people do things I'm not expecting. Yeah. Um, 
and you start to realize that that's not scary, but it's actually fun because then you get to make things up and like you get to decide what happens when you're the DM. And that's something that I now look forward to and I enjoy. Like I love getting to like be an NPC that I didn't even know I was going to need five minutes yeah. ago and like coming up with who this person is and like having the, the world feel so real because because I'm trying to like not drop the ball. I'm trying to sure. give the players things that makes things real to them. And so um, don't be afraid of that. Like, be excited about it. And like look for opportunities to shape the world and, and improvise, you know? So that's for running the game and for writing. I mean, you know what? For writing D&D adventures, just don't take people's advice because they're going to tell you <laughs> you can't do it. They're going to be like, no, no, you can never make money doing this. There's like no point in trying to write professional grade stuff. Like, I even see people who, who are peers of mine who say that to other people. And I'm like, you know what? Don't take their advice. If you love writing and you have a perspective that you think other people could appreciate, you should absolutely write it start sharing it out to people, show people your work, get it out there, and you will be surprised at how much people appreciate it and yeah. how far it goes. It's, it's true. It's Don't so, listen to people that you. <laughs> it's so funny because uh, when uh, before I was interviewing you, I had uh, an interview like two days ago with a gentleman named uh, Paul Davis, and he's an author. He's, he's published several books, uh, and he's really interested in starting to run D&D and uh, and I don't know how it was brought up, but I was like, have you thought about like publishing D and D modules? And he's like, ah, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And I was like, yo, I'm about to interview a girl who like, she does that. So like, yes, you could do that. And then we started talking about it. And I think on air, I might've convinced him <laughs> to, to look at doing yes! that. <laughs> Everyone should, you should, people need to do this. And it's, it's, there's so, I, I don't know, and like I'm sure in the fiction writing world there is this too, where there's so many naysayers being like, you know, this isn't a real job, and like you'll never, this is always going to be a hobby, and people do this for the love, and like they can't make a career out of it, and like, yeah, people do, we do this because we love this game, of course, but um, if you want to write and publish stuff, the barrier to entry is an illusion. It's an illusion. Like you, you can write something and you can put it out there and it doesn't have to be spectacular. The first stuff I put out there, it wasn't like amazing and I improved it over time. Mm. And you, you don't need to put like the best written glorious gem out there to get started and you yeah. shouldn't expect that from yourself. Just put your work out there if you like it. Like, if you write something that you're excited about, someone else will also be excited about it. Sure. Yeah. Like, that's that's 100% true. If you think it's cool, someone else is going to think it's cool. So anything else in your way is an illusion, and you just shouldn't take so, so much advice and instead take action. There you go. That was awesome. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. Um, just, uh, I mean... Kelsey, I could talk to you forever. I don't know how long you have. Uh, I, I don't mean to take up your whole day. I have to go. I have don't to go. <laughs> doing liter. I say that we've just been talking about D and D for the last hour, but I'm about to go mm -hmm. make another step towards ultimate nerdy um, transcendence. I'm gonna go play in a Magic the Gathering tournament because they're doing the the Forgotten Realms release or whatever uh, for Magic. Ooh, good so, luck. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know why I brought that up. I just uh, some rando brag. Um, let's let's talk. Uh, 
like I know you're you're inspired by uh, Garth Nix. You've talked about that. D and D shows. Do you uh, do you watch uh, Critical Role? Oh, I've just been getting into it because I got so I just came into the Critical Role universe like at the wrong times, like not when they were starting. And then it seemed so insurmountable for me to catch up that I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I have been religiously watching the new seasons that are out, the um, Exandria Unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like a more contained like eight episode thing. So I'm in the right in the middle of that. I'm a little behind. I'm getting caught up. And I am so entertained by it. I really enjoy it. I think it's so... Because like it's hard to make live D&D play exciting and fun because... Yeah. The game was built for the players to have fun. It wasn't necessarily designed for an audience, so it takes a lot of skill, I think, as sure. performers to make it fun. But I love it. I love Exandria Unlimited. I think that they are so talented. Yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, I've been. I started watching when they were really close to the end of the first campaign that they did. Uh, like, I had some someone just randomly was like, "Did you know people play D and D online?" Like as a show and I was like what yes let's do it where is it and I found it and I I enjoyed watching it for what it was and then once they started campaign two I I like dove d deep into it um and I listened to it at work while I was I was doing work and and then um eventually got to a point where I could have regular hours and I could watch it at home and my wife she would like she wouldn't watch it but she'd be like playing games while i watch it or she'd be working on something while i watch it and then eventually like she'd be like well who's that and i'm like oh that's that's caleb you know he's this kind of guy and oh that's caduceus he's my mm -hmm. favorite because you know he's he's super chill he's dope and uh and and she started watching it. and then like and then it became a point where it was like she's not doing anything else she's she has the game on but she's not playing she's just watching it with me <laughs> Uh, yeah. and, and she got pulled in. Yeah. yeah, she did. And then it got to a point where I was like, I came home one day and she was on episode three. She had like, she had stayed home from work. She didn't like call in, but she like, she didn't go into work and she was on episode three and I, and I come home and I'm like, Oh, why, why are you watching episode three? And she's like, well, I, I finished episode one and two. So I was like, today? <laughs> I was like, that's that's eight <laughs> hours. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's really good. I know. So she has been for the past. So she would she would watch with me. She would stay current and watch what's happening. And then when I'm not around, she'll watch. You know, she's trying to catch back up to where she had first started to get into it. So she's been doing oh, yeah, like, like backfill. Yeah. Yeah. She's been doing it hard, like like really pumping it in. Um, and then, and then I was like, well, you should check out the adventure zone. Um, which have you, have mm -hmm. you checked that out at all? I have heard of, I've heard of adventure zone and I know there's another, there's another one that I can, I'm, it's literally on the tip of my tongue. That is also, I've heard is so good. Um, oh my gosh. Of course I won't think of it now. But uh, what, Dungeons and what, Daddies. What is adventure zone? I've heard of that one too. Yes, I've heard of that one too. Oh yeah. my gosh, there's so many good ones. I'll never have time to, to watch <laughs> them all, I'm sure. But um, who's who's the DM on Adventure Zone? Uh, Griffin McElroy. Well, for at least so they do they do like different arcs and different seasons and stuff. And so for the mm -hmm. the first one that they did the the balance arc, it was Griffin McElroy and uh, okay, it's all the McElroy brothers and their dad. 
And if you don't know who they are, okay. not to condescend, but if you don't know who they are, uh, they started by doing the show My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is just a massively popular podcast. And then they, for for like a fundraiser, they did, hey, we'll play an episode of D&D. And then people fell in love with it so much that they just kept it going. And it became like the number two uh, podcast for D&D. Yeah. Wow. My my personal favorite though is uh, is Dimension Twenty. Have you watched? That's the one. I yeah. literally de- I've heard of Dimension Twenty. I've I've caught a few episodes of it, and again, like unbelievably entertaining. They're so good. Yeah. They're so fun to watch. And like everyone on the, the, I don't remember which episode it is. I caught. I think I caught like a one shot that they were doing that wasn't strictly part of a actual like continuing storyline. Oh okay. Um. And so I'm not totally sure the circumstances, but I was laughing and so in admiration of all of their abilities to to yeah. play their characters and like the DM I forget his name is amazing. Uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan. So good. Yeah. Yes. Legit. Like mm-hmm. is I know a lot of people love Matt Mercer and and he's great. Nothing against Matt Mercer and and Griffin McElroy is wonderful, but Brennan Lee Mulligan in in, in my opinion is the best that there is. He's the best at yes anding people, which in this day and age of D and D, that's the best skill that you can have as a DM. Yeah, absolutely. He's he was so fun to watch and I was like, wow, like it makes you think like how many how many like Matt Mercer level DMs are there out there who just like need their platform? Like there's some people who just make this an art form. It's yeah. so cool. I love watching them. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, the the whole point of this show is we're at a party. Everybody else is off dancing. You and I are in the corner talking nerd shit. So whatever you want to talk about. I know. Yeah. I have, like, nothing to promote. I'm just like, I love D&D. Everyone <laughs> play it. You know, like, um, yeah, that's it. I, I, if anyone listening wants to get more into D&D, you know where to find us. Like, um please play this game. We love it. It's my best friends and wonderful memories are all because of this game. So check it out. Yeah. You have to play. And go and go mm-hmm. specifically check out the arcane library. <laughs> if you want, I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just arcane library.com, right? Or is it the yeah, you're like the uh the I think both point to me, the arcanelibrary.com or yeah. arcanelibrary.com. If you google it, I bought both it shows up. I just went nuts. Yeah. I bought both. It's good. <laughs> I highly recommend getting the bundles um, cuz you you do a good job of like bundling things together and you can take those bundles and kind of start your your adventure with your group and and then like tell a story between those adventures and kind of it's it's really fun it, and um, yeah, and buy a t-shirt. I haven't bought a t-shirt yet. Oh, yeah. thank yeah. <laughs> I still need to. They're there. They're fun, you know. But you know, that's the adventures are definitely the the thing that are my greatest love to write. So hopefully there will be more soon. There and definitely will be more adventures. I, I forgot to ask this. You like so you were saying earlier that you do like it's it, there's no real barrier to entry. But it's not just that that you write them like you get really gifted artists to do art for these as well, right? 
Thank you. I, it's a mix. Like I, I hire some art out and some of it is li- like actually high quality stock art in some cases. Oh, wow. Like okay. any, even like super high people who are publishing at a way higher level than me will sometimes turn to stock art either because they found it inspiring and it like gave them an idea for something that they wanted to write or because they're trying to find some like good quality spot art that matches a certain vibe. So like people should not feel intimidated by art. You can write an entire adventure on high quality stock art and like on a like a hundred dollar art budget. Seriously. Mm. So okay. people should do it. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that you were doing stock art either. That's that's super dope. So Yeah. I absolutely use stock art. It's like Sometimes you see something and you're like, I have to write an adventure to this piece of art. It's so cool. You know, so I almost, wherever the art comes from. So like the, uh, the image that you did for the, the, um, the lens wizard story, what's that one called? Um, oh yeah. Gate of the lens wizards. Yeah. That, that was a piece of stock art. The That's cover, art. the cover yeah. that it is. The cover is. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's a well-known piece of stock art, but it's, um, that that I went on this whole this whole inspiration bender just based off of that particular stock artist's portfolio. Really? So even just looking through stock art will give you spectacular ideas for what you want to do. Where, so I recommend people do that. Where do you go? What what site do you use for stock art? Yeah, you can go to I mean Shutterstock is huge. Okay. You can get um great quality stuff on there. Um D D specific, you can go to um, there are sites like Drive Through RPG, which is a website where people publish yep. um, all kinds of like role playing game material, and lots of stock artists will have a presence on there, and it's very specific to like the D and D genre. Yeah. So you have to hunt around on there, but you can absolutely find some very inspiring and very high quality stuff. So okay. It's it's wonderful material, and I I wish more people could find these stock artists and support them in turn because they're putting out such great work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Well, there you go. If if you guys want to become a a D and D module writer, I mean, Kelsey's blowing it wide open for you here. You you have no excuse. <laughs> just just go get yes. stock art, get a hold of her wife, and then take her wife to a cafe, and she will force you to write. It's great. There you go. All takes. <laughs> all right. It's really about all it takes, though, to be honest. <laughs> Well, and with that, I think uh, I think we're gonna to end the recording so uh, we can nerd out a little bit more and not record it. Um, <laughs> Kelsey, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Tyler. It was so nice to talk. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you guys want to support Kelsey or check out her work, like we said, go to thearcanelibrary.com. Um, and uh, and yeah, go check them out. Go see some indie uh, content creators that are that are living their dreams. It's it's really cool. Uh, and as always on correspondence, I don't have a sign off, so it's just gonna be real awkward as I try to think of something to say. Uh, it, to say goodbye, it's it's gonna be me saying goodbye. <laughs>